The other day, I was scanning around through Facebook, seeing what was going on, getting caught up on everything, and, and a friend of mine had, uh, had posted a, a status from someone else, and uh, turned out it was actually a status from a very well-known TV preacher. And I, I don't want to badmouth anybody. I don't want to, you know, be talking about some other preacher. So I won't, I'm not going to say who it was. But I will say he has really nice hair and dimples and smiles a lot. Does that, does that narrow it down at all? Uh, probably not. But the status was this. And it was a quote with quotation marks around it. The status said, Colossians 3.12 says, God has given us the power to endure whatever comes our way with a good attitude. That was, the, that was the quote from Scripture. And then he went on to say, you've got to go to work with a smile on your face. Good attitude, being good to people, and doing more than you have to. Well, I didn't like the sounds of that. And uh, I sat there and I looked at that. I looked at Colossians 3.12 as he had, had it written out in quotes. I mean, that's, that's a quote. And I kept looking, I think, that doesn't look right. That, finally, I, I opened up my Bible. I thought, what, what does Colossians 3.12 actually say? And, and I, I found in my Bible, the actual quote is, Put on then, as God's chosen, and holy, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And I know arguing on the internet is worthless. What's, what's the saying? It's like wrestling with a pig. You're just going to get dirty and the pig likes it, you know? Uh, it's, it's not something that you want to do, and I, I, but I can't stand it when somebody does something wrong to the Scriptures. I don't like that. And so I responded, and I said, that is not at all what that verse says. Did anyone check a real Bible? And I felt like I was proud of myself. And I checked back a few minutes later, and six people had given me a thumbs up. Six people had liked my response. And I thought, yes, six people understand what I'm saying. On the other hand, the TV preacher with the nice hair and the dimples and the smile, he got 198,588 likes on his statements. And that's frustrating. And I want you to know, every week, every week, I dig into the Bible. I, I plow into this Word, and I, I just go into it, and, and I'm trying to seek out exactly what it says, and, and how do I communicate what it really says to these people who I love, people who I care about, people who I want to see living wonderful lives, lives that are blessed. How do I communicate that? And then somebody comes along with hollow promises and pretty hair, and almost 200,000 people like that, and they completely ignore the truth. And part of the struggle I've felt in digging into Romans is trying to find a way to make Romans relatable and understandable. There are huge concepts in this book, concepts about, you know, being saved by faith. What's that all about? And concepts of grace and redemption and, 
And the big concept of justification. What is justification all about? We see these things over and over again, and I've got to try to somehow make these relatable to you, and it would be a lot easier for me to just say, God wants you to go to work with a smile on your face. God wants you to have a good attitude and, and do more than you're supposed to. So buck up, buddy. You know, let's just do all we're supposed to do. But those are hollow promises. They are hollow. They are lifeless. And they are empty. And when the day comes, when that one very bad day comes, and I've given you nothing but hollow promises, where will your faith take you? When life falls apart, you're going to need more than just a good attitude get by. Last week we looked at Romans 4. We looked at the life of faith like, like Abraham, faith like Abraham and how that faith transforms you and how it transforms your story. Faith that takes you out of, of being a failure, out of being a sinner, out of being someone who is far from God to being seen as one of God's children, someone who belongs to him, someone who is forgiven, someone who has a new story. That's what we sang at the end of last week's uh, church, this is my story. Don't let someone else tell your story. This is your story. And so this week, Romans 5. Romans 5 picks up where Romans 4 left off with us being saved by faith, with us having a new story. And it starts out, therefore, and if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say, whenever you see the word therefore, you go back and see what it's there for. Therefore, since all that I just told you in chapter 4 is true, therefore, since you have this faith that transforms you, since, since all of that is true, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, what are the real promises that God has made to you? And beyond having a good attitude, beyond going to work with a smile on your face, on those days that absolutely feel like hell on earth, what can you expect if you have faith in him? What can you expect if you are saved by faith, justified by faith? Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in, order in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us like last week I want you to notice we're dealing with completed action here since we have been justified since we have been justified if you are a believer in Christ this is true of you. This is what you can expect. First of all, he, he, the very first place he takes us is the most important promise we have ever received, and that is that since we have been justified, our lives are marked by peace. The whole passage begins right there in verse 1. Since we have been. It's completed action. 
It's already done for you if you are a believer. We have been justified. Therefore, we have our lives are marked by peace. Justified, what does that mean? You remember the little thing I gave you? Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's what I call the quick and dirty definition of, of justified. There's an awful lot more to it than that. That's the easy and very memorable one. Just as if I'd never sinned. But you know, it's not just about restoring you to a sin-free state. It's not just about saying that all the things that you did in your past, they're all wiped away, and you don't have to pay the penalty for those sins, and you are clean before God. It's about giving you back what sin stole from you. You know, when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and you see Adam and Eve in the garden, you see them in, in paradise, right? You see them living in this perfection where the mosquitoes don't bite you, and uh, you don't have to worry about spiders. You don't have to worry about snakes. Bite. Well, you have to worry about a snake. Anyway, but you don't have to worry about the toil and the sweat and the, the pain of this world. And it's in a place where they, Adam and Eve, walked with God in the coolness of the garden, where, where they spoke with him face to face like friend to friend. That's what sin has stolen from us. Sin has stolen that relationship with God. Not just that, that sin has caused you to be corrupted, but sin has stolen that relationship with God. And that's what justification by faith returns. Now the problem is, we still don't live in that garden. We still don't live in that perfect place. We don't have the perfection of, of Eden. We live in a world that is scarred and stained by sin. We live in a world that is affected every day by wars, by sickness, by poverty, and by decay. So what's it going to look like when your life is justified? How do you live here with that reality? And the very first place that Paul takes us is the most important thing that we lost, and that is peace with God. When we hear the word peace, we can't help but think of natural things, the things that we've seen. We can't help but think of, of war. If we're going to talk about peace, we have to think about war. We can't help but think of, of peace treaties that we've seen and that we've heard about and that we've experienced in history. Earlier this month, we, we had Veterans Day. We had Armistice Day. And, and we are thankful for those that have served and those that have given their lives to ensure our peace. But part of understanding peace is not just that there's a cessation of war, but now we have a relationship with those people that we used to be at war with, right? We have a relationship with those countries. We are now allies in many ways. Now we work together as a team. Peace with God means you have a relationship with God, that we are on the same team, that we are working together. One of the things that's, that I found really fascinating was the phrase, peace with God, that Paul uses here. It's that same understanding that John uses in, in John chapter 1. Remember the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God. God. And what John is saying is Jesus was with God. Everything that's true about God was true about Jesus. There was this connection. They were in harmony. And that's the same phrase that Paul uses when he talks about us having peace with God, that we're in harmony with God. We are working together with God. Peace with God does not just mean that he forgave you because he had to. It doesn't just mean that he forgave you because he had to, because you gave in and he overpowered you and, and you gave up. And 
And now he has to forgive you. Peace with God means that you have a relationship with God where you actively work together, a relationship that is mutually beneficial. It's a covenant. It's like marriage. You and God are now one. There's no one else that can promise you that. There is no other place where you can have that promise. There is no other peace treaty. There is no other plan. This is it. And again, it's a completed fact. Since you were justified, you now have peace with God. Another thing that I think, I think we have to understand from our point of view is, in human terms, peace is often temporary, right? We make a peace treaty with another country, and it's only as good as the paper it's printed on and the signatures that signed it, and sooner or later, we're going to keep an eye on them. They're going to keep an eye on us, and sooner or later, somebody's going to screw up, and we're not going to have that peace anymore. That's not the way it is with God. God never changes, right? The Bible tells you that. Remember that part? God never changes. He doesn't go back on his word. If God has peace with you today, guess what? Tomorrow, you don't have to worry about him suddenly changing the policy. He's going to have peace with you tomorrow. He's going to have peace with you next week. He's going to have peace with you next month. He did all of this already. It's, he keeps his word. That's why Jesus says it is finished. Jesus doesn't say we will revisit this next year. He says this is, it is finished. It is completed. We have peace. So then justified, the justified life is marked by peace with God. And as Paul continues here, he shows us that the justified life is also a life of standing in grace. He says in verse 2, he says, Because of Jesus, through him, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The idea of standing in grace is very specific. Grace is where you stand, and you stand in grace. You stand unmoving. You stand unshakable, unfaltering. There is confidence when you stand in grace, and you really need to see that. You need to understand that there is confidence when you stand in grace, because confidence is something that a lot of us don't have. We don't even understand that confidence is possible when it comes to standing before God. It's because we've never really understood the concept of peace with God. And if we never understood peace with God, we're never going to understand confidence and the ability to stand in grace. I kept thinking this week, how am I going to illustrate this? This, this is important. This is important that you get this. And I kept wondering, how am I going to illustrate this? How am I going to get them to understand this confidence of standing in grace rather than cowering in fear? before God. And I had this great idea, and the idea was that you would turn to the person on your left, turn to the person on your left and smile at them the most beautiful, sweet and polite smile that you can. And as soon as they started smiling back at you, as soon as they started smiling back, I just want you to pop them in the nose. Just just smack them really quick. Just pop them. Just make them flinch. And then smile at them again. And just wait until they smile again and then just go like that. And wait for him to flinch. You guys, you guys understand what a flinch is, right? You guys ever flinched? Okay. Flinching is what you do when you're waiting for someone to lay the hammer down on you. Okay? And we end up flinching a lot. We flinch from other people. We flinch from situations. We spend our lives flinching. Flinching is a natural uh, reaction, a natural response. If somebody hurt you, if somebody smacks you, 
you flinch because you expect it's going to happen again. And there are a great number of people who spend their entire lives flinching. And it goes beyond the physical flinch reaction that you see there. Because there are people that spend their entire lives flinching in fear because they're just waiting. Because you got hurt in the past. Somebody hurt you. You spend your life waiting for a flint. You, know, you spend your life flinching, waiting for a hurt. A hurt that may never come again. Somebody disappointed you. You spend your life flinching. You got hurt. Pain keeps you flinching through your entire life. Pain keeps you flinching through the future. But we don't flinch before God. Okay? You understand? We don't flinch before God because if we don't flinch. We stand in grace before God. It is not flinching. It is not cowering. We are not standing there waiting with God over us like this saying, I'm giving you one more chance. You screw up one more time. I am laying the hammer down. I am giving you the smack down. You, you've got one more chance. God's not like that. We have peace with God. He's not going to change the policy. He's not going to go back and revisit the, the peace treaty. We have peace before God. He wants you to stand. He wants all of us to stand confident in his grace. The other part of it is that he wants us to stand together. He wants us to stand on, on equal footing. There is no one in this building who is more saved than anyone else. Okay? There is no one in this building who is more saved than anyone else. Just because you've been a Christian for five years and someone else in this building has been a Christian for 50 years, that does not give them 50 years more saved than you. That doesn't mean that they're up here and you're here. In fact, if you look on down towards the end of chapter 5, look in verse, in verse 20, he says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I haven't been a Christian as long as that guy, so, so I'm not as good because I've screwed up and this person's up here. No, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that we get to stand together. My guess is somebody's had you flinching in life. Somebody has, has caused you to flinch, and, and there's some relationship where, where you've just been waiting. Someone's been waiting for you to do something wrong so that they can lay that hammer down, so that they can come back and make you flinch. That someone is not God, and that reaction is not godly. You stand in grace and because we have peace with god and because we have grace to stand paul tells us that our lives are driven by joy our lives are driven by joy now the preacher with the good hair and the dimples who smiles a lot that preacher will tell you that all you need is a good attitude that if you go to work with a smile on your face giving all that you can that you will be able to endure whatever comes your way but the preacher who has the nail scars in his hands the preacher that has the nail scars in his feet and the the crown of thorns on his head that preacher said in this world you will have trouble but take heart, because I have overcome 
the world. Jesus did not promise you a life free of trouble. He did not promise you a life free of pain or sickness or heartbreak. He didn't even promise you a life where every day you were going to be able to smile. Life is hard. Life is going to beat you down. But I have something greater to promise you. He says in verses 2 through 5, he says, Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm not going to lie to you. We always pray for the best. We always pray for healing. We always pray for wholeness. We always pray for happy lives. We, we want to pray for a life where every day you get a smile. I, I would love that for all of us. But the promise here is something deeper than happiness. The promise here is something deeper than the health and wealth that you're going to hear about in other places. Something more lasting. The promise is joy. Now, the devil, the world, will try to counterfeit joy by selling you happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. When everything's going good, you can be happy. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. God promises something that's dependent upon him. And what God promises is something we call joy. One of my favorite definitions of joy that I heard years ago and I've always held on to is joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Look at what's promised to those who have been justified, to you. He says in verse 2, in this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We find our joy, our hope, in the glory of God. Not in what we see today, not in what we experience today, and what we feel today. That's not where we have our hope. Our hope is in the glory of God that will be revealed in us. And then he goes on and he says in verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And I want you to hear that very carefully. We do not rejoice because of sufferings. That would be horrible. We rejoice in the midst of our suffering because we look for something greater, something more lasting. Why? Because more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Because you have been justified, because you have been given the life that God always meant for you to live in the perfection of Eden. Nothing can steal that from you. Nothing can steal him from you. Not suffering, not sickness, not heartbreak, not pain. Everything has the potential of leading you to joy. Everything you experience has the potential of leading you to hope. This is the most amazing part. And I, and I struggled all week because what I wanted to do was skip all those first verses and get right to this because this is the part that you really need to get. This is the part that I really needed to get this week. We needed to understand this joy thing because this is a crummy world. 
This is a horrible world where bad things happen, where people get sick, where tornadoes come and destroy an entire town. But if all you've got is this world, that's awful. But we have something more than this world. And if all you're living for is this world, then all that suffering does is remind you that you're a horrible person and that bad things happen to you. But nothing's going to steal your joy. Nothing can steal the peace that God wants to build in you. Nothing can take you away from standing in grace. And therefore, everything that you experience, instead of leading you to destruction, leads you to more joy. Leads you to more and more hope. Since nothing pulls us away from peace with God, suddenly, in the midst of pain, and in the midst of our suffering, we find purpose, and we find meaning. Verses 3 and 4, you look at verses 3 and 4, and it tells you that we see pain, and we see sickness, we see suffering. Those things are all a result of living in a fallen world. And as long as we are here... As long as we are in this creation, we're not going to escape those things. They are going to happen. We can't avoid them. But justification means that rather than suffering as a result of sin, rather than suffering as a result of sin ending in death, because you remember a couple weeks ago, the wages of sin is death. That's the payment for what we've owed. But Jesus already paid that for us. Rather than sin ending in suffering and separation from God, Now it builds purpose. Now it builds meaning into our lives, and it ends with hope. And I can't tell you how many people have told me that. I can tell you how many people have told me their stories, and they've gone through some horrible things. And instead of a story where life is bad and life is hard, and this is what happened to me, and and it just stinks, doesn't it? They tell me stories of hope instead. When you sit and talk to somebody who's, who's been through the most horrible things, you say, how did you make it? And they say, it's my faith. That's what got me through. This past week, I was talking to Bob Probst. And Bob was telling me about him and Barb, and Barb's the the cancer that you guys went through a few years ago. And Bob made the statement, we had so much hope in the midst of that. You know why you had hope? Because you're people of faith. You're a man of faith. You're a woman of faith. And because of that, you didn't see just the circumstances that you were living in. You saw something greater. You saw that God was doing something greater with those circumstances because you stand on the truth that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ and because that truth gives you grace to stand before God, not to cower, not waiting for a smackdown, not looking at cancer as though it's another smackdown from God because you've made him mad, but that you have peace. And because of that, it brings joy to your life. It brings you to his very presence. It brings joy. Joy is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And that gives you hope. There are very few truths that I've ever communicated to you that are important as this one. And I want you to catch this. There are very few truths that are as important as this one that you find in chapter, or in, in chapter 5, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5 says, the very first part of the verse says, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. Another translation puts it this way. Hope does not disappoint. There's a lot of people out there, and maybe even some people in here, who put their hopes 
in things that eventually disappoint them. You can put your hope in your physical health. You can put your hope in, in eating the right foods and doing the right things and getting plenty of exercise and losing all that weight that the doctor told you you had to lose. But sooner or later, your physical health is going to disappoint you. I have a friend who's in a wheelchair. She refers to us as temporarily able-bodied people <laughs> because sooner or later, you're not going to be able-bodied. She's just there a little earlier than the rest of us. You can't put your hope in your physical health. Some people put their hope in their bank accounts. You can't take it with you, though, can you? And all the money you've saved, all the things that you provided, all it takes is one hospital stay or one bad investment, and all of that is gone. You guys know how I feel about the lottery, right? <laughs> I cry. For a year, I wept because I saw people week after week putting their hope in those stupid tickets and spending billions of dollars on the hope that those tickets were somehow going to make their lives better. Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not disappoint. Read that with me out loud. Hope does not disappoint. If your hope, whether it's your health, your bank account, your lottery tickets, whatever, if your hope has ever disappointed you, it is not worthy of your hope. Don't put your hope in something that disappoints you. Now, Christians, part of the problem that we have is that we bought the advice of preachers with nice hair and dimples and big smiles who promised us things that God never promised us. God does not promise us health and wealth. Jesus says in this world you will have troubles. But take heart, get hope, because I have overcome this world. If you are putting your hope in something that disappoints you, it is not worthy of Christian hope. Christian hope is eternal. Christian hope sees you through this world, sees you through the circumstances of this life, and into something that will last forever. And if your hope will not see you through this life and into eternity, you need to find something better to put your hope in. There's only one thing better. There's only one thing better. There's only one true source of hope, and that is found in Jesus Christ. Maybe you bought into a counterfeit. A counterfeit that told you that you could be good enough, that if you just smiled and endured and everything would be fine. Or maybe you were told, maybe you were told there is no hope. Maybe someone told you, don't get your hopes up. And so you've never gotten your hopes up about anything. Today I'm telling you, he will not disappoint you. He will not put you to shame. I can't promise you an easy life. I can't promise you anything perfect here in this world. I can't promise you that you're even going to be able to smile every day. But I can promise you that if you put your hope in him, he will never disappoint you. And today, if you bought into a counterfeit or if you've just never even had hope, we want to help you with that. We want to give you something to hold on to, something that's going to see you through this world. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put you to shame. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. That it's a song that meant a lot to us Wednesday night when we had our, our service here.
We're going to sing along with the tape, and I just want you to hear it, and I want you to, to let these words be a part of a prayer for you. It tells us exactly what we need. We need Christ. We need the hope that comes through him. If you need us to pray with you about that, we would love to do that today. We would love to pray with you. We would love to help you find that hope. If you want to come as we stand and sing, if you want to come with somebody else, bring somebody to pray, we'll all pray together. Let's, let's stand together.